The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 36, the difference between a mental health issue and age-appropriate behavior. And Nikki, just like some of our previous episodes, we struggled with like, how can we make the title of this episode cute and catchy so people get it? And then we're just like, just keep it simple, stupid, and talk about exactly what we're going to talk about. So that's why we have kind of a lengthy title, but that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're going to talk about uh, just how to tell if something is kind of normal for a kid's age and stage of development or if it's a problem that you should look into. Very nice. Well, before we get started, we just passed Thanksgiving and now we've got our sights set on the Christmas holiday season. And so we just want to say how thankful we are for you guys who listen to this episode, uh, listen to this podcast rather. And uh, those of you who've written a review, whether it's on uh, Apple podcast, uh, Facebook, we get emails, we get stopped sometimes in public. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell the story kind of quickly, but I was at a local store and a, a lady stopped me and she says to me, she's like, your podcast is life changing. And I went, Oh, okay. And she's like, I'm serious. And she told me the story of everything it went through. And it's like, it means so much to us when we hear that, because we know it's helping you. When we started this more than a year ago, Nikki said to me, she's like, we got to get the word out. You know, there's wait lists in behavioral health all over the country. If we can get anything out just to help people kind of bide some time until they can get in with a therapist or a counselor or whatnot, then that's what we're doing. And and we're getting words from so many different people and things of, of stories that I didn't think we would hear. Like, oh, this, you helped me this way. And I'm like, oh, well, that wasn't the intent of that episode, but great. It helps. So we're just so thankful for you guys uh, for sharing the episodes and again, rating and reviewing us. And we're, we're just thankful that it's helping and, and we're not you know going to declare mission accomplished, but mission accomplished, at least for the first part that mm-hmm. we're just spreading the word. We're starting that conversation and, and you guys are helping. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But I, I just want to add on to that, that the, the feedback we've gotten is so helpful because it helps us to figure out what the next step is for us and, and what's needed mm-hmm. and what people are looking for when they tune in. And so I really appreciate those that have, you know, sent a message or stopped by or said something or, you know, posted about it. I, I really appreciate that. It, it helps yeah. us do even more of what we set out to do. On to the episode then, the difference between a mental health issue and age-appropriate behavior. And we're going to start off kind of generic and kind of cash out the proverbial fishing net and then reel it in and see what we catch. Because sometimes you get like, you know, boots and tuna cans and stuff <laughs> when you're looking <laughs> for the for the fish. And uh, z- side note disclaimer, I don't like fish. So uh, there <laughs> we go. But you, mental health issue, we're talking, you know, we focus a lot on anxiety. We've talked a lot as of late about ADHD. We've talked a little OCD. Um, We haven't really dealt with trauma. We keep teasing ahead to, we're going to talk about trauma and we are, but there's a lot of different issues. So let's address that first, Nikki. And and when we talk about mental health issues, what are we talking about here? Casting that net. When something is considered a mental health issue, I mean, there is a broad range of what that can encompass. And, and something I like to say that is that mental health isn't just a diagnosis. You know, you Mm -hmm. can have a lot of positive traits and positive strengths and resources and, and skills and talents. And that's part of your mental health too. So mental health is a lot 
covers a lot of ground, right? Yeah. So a mental health problem would be anything that's interfering with your ability to function. And so for, you know, some folks, the that level of interference is, you know, pretty intense or, you know, it's really, really interfering with lots of areas of your life. And so then, you know, we could start to call it a mental health problem, but mm-hmm. you can have mental health and not have a problem, right? You could have mental health okay. and have no diagnosis, right? It's, it's, it's possible to have, you know, have a struggle that is impacting your mental health and not qualify for a diagnosis. And so the language is really tricky. Um, and that's why I thought this might be um, a helpful episode for families, because here's the thing, being human, there's a lot of struggle. That's just, just sort of naturally a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. There's parts yeah. of your life that are like, I don't know that it's intentional, but they're, they just are naturally difficult. And so just because you struggle with that or you have a hard time or you find that your emotions are a little bit out of whack doesn't mean that you have a mental health problem so much as you're just struggling with something that might be, you know, pretty standard for the phase of life that you're in or the situation that you're experiencing. So, but that, but that line is really, you know, is it causing a problem in every area of your life? You know, do you meet the criteria for diagnosis? Is this something that's likely to get better on its own? Those are some questions to ask. And so we're going to kind of break that down. And, and figure out what that means in everyday life. So you mentioned questions to ask. If you feel like you have a, a concern like this that might not be a diagnosis, but it's a mental health issue of some sort, where do you turn to with those initial questions? Well, my favorite go-to is, is so it kind of depends on if you're talking about your children. So like if you're a parent and you're mm-hmm. worried about your child's mm-hmm. situation, or if you're talking about your own experience and, and, and really either way, the, the answer is the same. So with it's, with the kids, um, if you're seeing something and you're going, is this normal? Is this a problem? Should we talk to someone? Ask parents of kids who are the same age, ask your friends who have similar age children, ask your kids, friends, parents, uh, what, you know, is that something they're going through tell stories, compare, you know, what I find is that anytime you vent with another parent, you can find out real quick if, you know, you're on the same page or if you're experiencing something similar. And so we have a group of friends that we all have kids around the same age, but I also have friends whose kids are older and friends mm. whose kids are younger. And so all those different age ranges kind of help us because I can tell, you know, the people with younger children, oh yeah, that happens. That's totally normal. But the kids, the parents who have older children are able to normalize some stuff for me. And so a lot of it is just ask the people, you know, is this something your kid does? Would you be concerned about that? And it's, it's not that we're asking everybody to be like an armchair therapist. I get concerned when I think about that in my head, that it's going to be like giving a bad answer on family feud where it's going to be like, yeah, our family totally does that. Good answer. Um, (laughs) Because then you might get a little judgment of like, no, our kid, no, uh-uh. Well, and so I, I think probably I, I'm a little bit um, biased in in my perception of asking friends just because I've had such a, a solid group of people who who really, I mean, without me trying, they've been able to say, oh my gosh, we're struggling with the same thing. Like I don't, so I'm not even- find better friends, Chad. Yep, that's like what that. it is. Find the best. <laughs> but it's, and I don't even have to go into all the details. You know, it's uh, one one friend stopped by to, to pick up my kid to take her to a thing with her daughter. And she got there and I just made this face and she just looked back at me. And I knew in that moment that like, she knew exactly what I was getting at. Like hmm. it was just like <laughs> nonverbal communication was strong. And so then we later on had a conversation and, and a lot of the things that we, you know, I've been bumping our head up against at home was happening in their house too. And so that's one way. That's just one. Now you might not yeah. have a support group where you, you know, a supportive group of friends where you can have those conversations, but that's one way to look at it um, or to try to figure out. Another thing would be to think in terms of, you know, what are some of the developmental phases that kids go through? So, I mean, developmental psychology is one of the coolest things 
you can like a class or a course or, you know, a book. Yeah. People listening are like, I don't want to read a book on developmental psychology, but <laughs> is it a me, Netflix docuseries? Then I'll, then I'm actually, there are things like that. You can oh. find docuseries about development that, that just kind of help you to kind of normalize and know what's there and what's not. So awesome. um, there's, I, I'd love to be able to get a title. I'll see if I can come up with some by our next episode, but looking for what is a normal struggle. So people talk about the terrible twos. Yeah. And, uh, you know, three major, three major. Yeah. There's reasons for that. Right. Those are difficult ages. Those are times when kids are going through like this huge spurt of like cognitive development and independence and their skills are developing, but they can't quite do everything and they still need a lot of help, but they don't want it. And like, that's pretty normal stuff. And you don't have to assume that your three major has a mental health issue. They're they're three and they're going through Mm -hmm. developmentally appropriate struggles. And that's not the last time they're going to have an age appropriate struggle. You're going to see struggles, you know, around the time you get to middle school, you start to see a lot of cognitive development and you see kids, you know, being more self-aware and, and maybe more judgmental of themselves and of each other. And you, so you start to see more struggles that have to do with just being the age that they're in. And so kind of looking at the age your child is at and what, what developmentally physically they might be going through that can help you kind of cue into, hmm, is this just maybe part of, you know, what's happening for them? Or is this something that we need to dig a little deeper into? So going back to the terrible two slash three-nager, how do you know, and I guess as I often do, I'm going to answer my own question here. It's reaching out to other parents and stuff because I, when my son turned two, I was like, okay, here we go. And that kid was an angel from two, and then we turned three. (laughs) Things just went, I'm like, this kid is in timeout every day from three to four. Mm -hmm. So did he hit the terrible twos late or was there no terrible twos because he skipped right into three agerhood? It's it's hard to say. I mean, because you also have indicated that like looking back, you Mm -hmm. recognize some things that were signs of anxiety at a younger age. And so you can't brush it off as, as a developmental phase all the time, but oftentimes when you don't have any other information, you just kind of have to go with what you know. Right. So um, that, that burst of, you know, terrible twos versus three major, like that, that just is different. You know, kids, kids kind of go through that phase of development at different times and that's okay. I'm still waiting on my nine-year-old to go through the terrible twos, by the way. That's what I'm saying. They don't, you know, every kid is different. And so it (laughs) it really is hard. And so even though I'm saying, yeah, compared to the other kids, that's not necessarily what I mean. You're going to observe tendencies. So if your child is in a preschool class and the preschool teacher is telling you that your child is struggling with something in particular, and that teacher says, well, you know, you know, the other kids aren't really having that problem. That's not really typical for this age group. That's another red flag too, is that if, if you're getting feedback from other adults who work with that aged child and they're not seeing the same thing. We've had things that I thought, oh gosh, that's a thing. But then when we talk with the teacher, you know, it's all actually most of the kids at this age are having a hard time with that. And that's, that's pretty standard. We know we're going to work with it. And so you just, you, you kind of have to ask the, the experts in your world at the time, the people who might be able to give you kind of a fair, you know, assessment of things. But the, the bigger thing beyond comparison, because I think comparison can get us in a lot of trouble too, because, you know, every child is different, even comparing your own two kids isn't really fair, right? Because they're so so different in terms of how they've grown up and developed. A, A better way to look at it would be how much trouble is this child having in various parts of their lives? So if they're able to go to school and behave appropriately and they go to Sunday school or church and they behave appropriately and they go to grandma's house or aunt's house or friend's house and there's no issues and they go to Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts and no issues, but at home they're having a hard time, you can probably, you know, not not 100% guaranteed, mm-hmm. but probably this isn't 
mental health so much as a child, you know, trying to make sense of their world and trying to develop some new coping skills and maybe keeping it together in all the other places, but needing to kind of unleash a little bit at home. Um, but still something to keep your eye on. But that's that's another way to kind of measure is are we having okay. trouble in all settings or just one setting or a couple of settings and just looking for those kind of trends too. So then on the flip side, if they're having trouble at one particular setting, it's more than likely a mental health issue because that's a that's a trigger for them. Not necessarily. It, it, this is so it, confusing. <laughs> let's see if we can make it less confusing. <laughs> if you're experiencing the problem in one setting, it may very well be something to do with that setting, right? It okay. could be a trigger in that setting, a person in that setting, uh, something about timing. You know, maybe maybe it's in the after school program at school. All day we're fine. We get to after school and we're cranky. Well, maybe that child's hungry. Right. Maybe that child is tired and just isn't accustomed to not having their afternoon nap or rest time. Um, and so if it's one setting, you got to kind of look at the factors in that one setting. If it's in every setting, well, let's step back and go, OK, there might be something going on here. We might want to look at like what's going on that this child is taking into every situation. If it's a couple of settings, again, it, it could be kind of either or it could be, well, this this child is having this problem in this setting, in this setting, because there are common factors between those two places, but they're not having trouble over here because of these common protective things or structures that are in place that prevent the problem. So that, you know, again, none of this is probably the most important thing to say in this episode is that there's no rule of thumb with this. Yeah. It's, it's a lot really, of gray area. Yeah. A ton of it. And it, and it has to do with, you know, what's standard for your child, what's standard for a child at that age, what's standard in your household. And, you know, so you just, you have to look at all those different things. And I think a lot of it is kind of go, ask questions, ask your child, ask their teacher, ask, ask the people that are around, but then like trust your gut. And if you don't know, you know, talk to a counselor, talk to your pediatrician. Yeah. Trust your gut, man. I can't emphasize that enough. Is there a difference too between the sexes? But, uh, extend that question for me. So you? like, um, you know, or, or if 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 your son is having difficulties at church or Sunday school or whatever, but the daughter isn't, but the daughter struggles at school and the son doesn't, like, is there a difference between boys and girls as they get older? I, I think that probably, yes, there very much can be, but I think it might be too broad to, to generalize and say boys have trouble in this situation and girls have trouble in this situation. Okay. I, I think it's kind of knowing your kiddos and recognizing their trouble spots and then looking at, okay, well, and that's actually another idea that's not related to your question at all, <laughs> but um, <laughs> is if both of your children, if, if you have three or four kids or if you have two kids or however, and they're both struggling with the same thing. So say you've got a fifth grader and a second grader, and those kids are both having the same behavioral issue in the classroom, that doesn't necessarily answer any questions for you because it could be kind of a genetic predisposition. It could be a missing skill that's not being taught in your home. It could be a lot of different things, but gender, I can't really speak to that with a lot of you know clarity, but looking at your kids and how they're doing and, and noticing trends too. Um, I, you know, I've definitely noticed that our kids struggle with similar things. And I know that has to do with our parenting, right? It has to do with the skills that we <laughs> emphasize versus the ones we might be missing. <laughs> sure. Sure. I'd always heard that the, the, is it the girls are easier when they're younger and the boys are harder and then they flip. And when they become like teenagers, the boys are easier and the girls are more difficult. I don't, I've, I mean, I have one of each, so stay tuned because my <laughs> kids aren't quite at that age yet. Yeah. I've heard that too. And I just think it's all difficult. So I don't. <laughs> it's just so hard. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think there's any any age that's difficult. But I I did I kind of made some notes on like the the periods of time where you're likely to see 
yes. a, a change or maybe, you know, that might be normal to see and it doesn't necessarily indicate a mental health issue. So, okay. you know, two to four, there's definitely a lot of growth and, and stuff going on there. Now you can start to see signs of anxiety or signs of ADHD, but at that age, you're, you're, you know, you shouldn't be focused on finding a diagnosis or treatment. You should be focused on what does that child need in terms of skill development. So those are the early years. And then around 10 and 12, um, mm-hmm. especially I, I would say boys, nine or 10 girls, maybe more 11, 12. Um, but kind of that range, you're seeing a lot of like prepubescent stuff going on physically, emotionally. Um, you're going to see some some tantrums that are kind of carrying over from the the early years that you're like, where did that come from? You know, and that, that's just because there's so much going on cognitively and there's like a whole new motherboard of emotions being installed at that point and they don't know how to deal with it at all. And so, you know, I, I just I remember seeing both of my 11 year olds at different, you know, when they were each at that phase, just. Mm-hmm losing it over small things and thinking what has possessed you like something is very wrong and um of course you know doing what i do for a living i I assume the worst but it turns out there's just that's a pretty normal part of development you know to kind of just have these overwhelming emotions and you don't know what to do with them and so with time they get accustomed to how that feels and then they learn how to deal with it and so it's not necessarily a problem so then after the the 9 to 12 range then we get into the teen years and you know rather boy girl calm, quiet kid, louder kid, more outgoing kid, that teenage years can be very, very difficult. But that doesn't mean it's a mental health issue. Now we are more like, let me, let me sort of confuse people further. Um, (laughs) So we are more likely kids in their teen years, we can start to see some emotional stuff surface from, from before that maybe, maybe it didn't really look like a problem. And now we're in our teen years. And so things are just, you know, more present, more visible. Um, but that, but just because a child is, you know, talking back or having some attitude or, you know, maybe kind of changing how they're doing things a little bit doesn't mean it's mental health. It might, it might just be developmental, but that's again, where you have to look for the patterns. You have to look for changes. Um, and we'll talk about changes more in a minute. Another phase where you might start to see a change that makes you kind of concerned would be following the birth of a sibling. So, you know, that's just, I remember thinking I had broken my first child, um, Mm -hmm. like up to six months after the second child was born and thinking, oh no, I've ruined her. But like, that is just such a big adjustment for the family that Mm -hmm. it's not unusual to see a little bit of a shift there. And then, um, any, any like start of a new school year, it's normal Mm -hmm. to see some, some difficulties arise in the first few months, start in a new building. If you move anything after like a big change, it's not unusual to see some problematic behaviors and go, Hmm, what is that? But give it time. You know, and we've talked about that in another episode. Give it time. Uh, it, you'll know when you can't give it any more time. You'll recognize when it's when it's no longer, you know, okay to just kind of watch and see. But but sometimes, you know, things change and kids have a little trouble adjusting to that, and that's okay. Would you recommend for parents to kind of start keeping a physical log of writing down when this outburst happened or they acted this way at this certain time so that they can kind of go back and look at their notes? Yes, there are folks out there that have, heard me say this a million times and are tired of it. Um, track everything, right? Track mm-hmm. everything. Because when you can see it on paper, it just, it gives you a little bit of power uh, to start to string things together to make sense of it. And so the big, you know, thing that that you really want to look for to know if something is a, a phase or a normal developmental struggle is, is it a change in behavior or personality that is persistent across places, across time? When you see that, that's kind of a red flag. If you've got a kid, I mean, I, I remember the, the Family Matters episode, um, Mr. and Mrs. Beeler talked about how, you know, they noticed a change. Their their mm-hmm. child had changed. And so that's mm-hmm. a really big one. If, you, if your child has changed and has 
persisting and it is not just, a, you know, here and there, that's a red flag. And so going back to the tracking, when you see something that you don't know what to do with as a parent, which is like, I don't know, every 10 minutes, get your journal, your notebook, your calendar, your phone app, your notes in your phone or whatever, and jot it down, you know, the date, the time, what happened, where were you? Um, and then if it happens again, jot it down. <laughs> I have a, a newish car and it's given me this like alarm Mm -hmm. like warning thing. And so the first time it happened, I didn't worry about it. I'm just like, okay, if I see it again, I will write it down. And then it happened again. And I wrote it down and then it happened again. So now I've got, I've got like two incidents. And so now when I go talk to the, the mechanic, I, I can give details because I wrote it down every time it happened. And so I'm not telling you to take your kids to the mechanic because that would be super weird, but you can kind of treat it like that. When you see something and you don't know what it is or what's causing it, jot it down because now you have some data that you can take to the expert, to the pediatrician, to the counselor, to whoever, and say, hey, this is what's going on. And that's going to save you time because I will tell you that when you go to your first visit with your pediatrician or counselor about a behavioral issue, they're going to ask you to keep track of it anyway. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like a like a, a hack. It's just go in there with your data and, and you can get started on finding a solution faster. Cool. Did you not ask any other cars or car owners if they were having uh, similar issues? <laughs> I'm about to. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to ask everyone I know if they've ever seen this warning before and how big of a deal it is. So, you mentioned talking to other parents, which I think is great. At what point do you need to involve a professional, whether it be your primary care provider or a mental health therapist? At what point is that red flag going it's it's waving and going pay attention to me? I, I think when you see that persistent change that, you know, when, when the problem is occurring in multiple locations across time persistently, it's probably time, you know, when the, or when the severity of the problem has escalated to the point that like everybody's upset about it, or you just, you know, you're not sure what to do anymore. That's a really good time to, to reach out, you know, and, and there's, you know, parents come in different forms, right? So there's some parents that are going to worry on the front end immediately and ask for help the first time. Right. They, mm -hmm. they don't need to track it because they're going to call right away. But right. then there are parents who who really, you know, that's fine. Everybody's going to be OK. And you know what? A lot of times they are OK. But then there's those in the middle that are like, oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. And they're going to kind of worry about it a little bit. But I think when you get to the point that it's bothering you, you know, so if you're a parent and you're at work and you're worried about your kid, it might be time to say something or, you know, check into it. And sometimes that saying something or checking into it isn't necessarily going to see a professional. Sometimes it's just sitting down with your child, maybe have a family meeting, maybe have a one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one drive with your kid and just talk through, Hey, I've noticed this. What do you think this is about? And I, and I can't emphasize this enough. Like kids are pretty smart and they know themselves better than we think. And, you know, kids have varying ranges of self-awareness, but um, if you give your kids a chance to talk and really listen to them, they can tell you what they need and, and they can often tell you what they think is going on. And that can be a cue or a clue as to where to go next. Yeah, I just scribbled down a question, which was how important is communication with your kid? And you just <laughs> answered that, like, ask the kid, yeah. you know, hey, I'm yeah. noticing this about you. Is, is, is everything okay? How's it going? Yeah. We've talked also in past episodes and it's the uh, Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey book. Don't ask what's wrong. Mm -hmm. what's happening, what's going on. Those are kind of things that, that kind of lead to it. Although what happens with us a lot is, you know, I will ask my child what's going on. Hey, I've noticed, you know, I'll try to be all calm, cool and collected and be like, Hey, I noticed the last couple of days, this thing has happened. And then they'll say something. And then I forget that the best 
possible thing I could do in that moment is shut up. Right. Yeah. And I will I have that problem. Talking. Yeah. And, and then the kids will look at me like, you wanted me to tell you about it. Now you're telling me what, you know, and, and we just, we have to get better at just giving them the space to talk and not try to explain away the problem. I think that most, I don't want to say all parents, but I definitely think a lot of us are guilty of, we want them to feel better because we know that the thing they're dealing with isn't like the end of the world. It's not actually a crisis a lot of the time but when we explain it away yeah we don't give them the power to work through it and and come to that conclusion on their own and so i'm super guilty of it my kids would be appalled to hear me say these things because as far as they know (laughs) i don't get it so let's talk about that teenager age again and i'll see if i can form this um into a, a logical question but you have some kids who just want to be left alone They'll lock themselves in the room, but then you hear, and you know, again, spent 22 years in the media. So we'd report on stories that say, don't let your kids alone in their bedroom with their phone, with the computer, you should have access to it and everything. But then you also want to give your kids some space. So how do you differentiate the fact that, okay, my kids told me, leave me alone. I want some space. I should respect that versus I need to inquire more because maybe there is an issue there that needs to be dealt with. I think there's a couple different ways to go about it, but but it, it goes back to what you said a minute ago, which is communication with your child is important. And so setting boundaries and limits, you know, and acknowledging, I know you need time to yourself. You know, when I was your age, I absolutely liked being by myself a lot. But we also know that when you have too much time alone, that's not good for you. And so let's put some limits. How much time do you think you need each day? You know, how much time do you want, you know, alone? Okay. And then what, what I try to do to be the cool parent, and I will tell you, this doesn't always go in my favor, but you know, they'll say, well, I think I need two hours. I'll say, well, how about you get two and a half hours a day? So I add that little half on. So I seem really generous, (laughs) even though like I probably would have been okay with up to three or whatever, you know, like a little trickery. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but then, you know, I'll say, okay, so I'm going to leave you alone, you know, for these periods of time and I'm gonna let you have that space. But here's the thing I need to know that what you're you know, during, during, doing during that time by yourself is safe, right? I need to know mm-hmm. that you are, you know, okay. Um, and then when it's time to come out of your room and it's time to help the family and do homework and do those other kinds of things, I need you to comply. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to to give you that freedom and space that you want, you know, and it's, it's kind of that give take of parenting. You got to give a little to get a little, but it takes, you know, some conversation, a little bit of negotiation and uh, trial and error too. That's, that's just a lot of parenting is, uh, trial and error. Unfortunately, you're dealing with a live human being. It's not, you know, <laughs> you yep. can trial and error with your car all you want, but mm-hmm. you know, this is a living, breathing creature. And I also think it's important to note kids have bad days too. And they're allowed that maybe they had a lousy night's sleep and they had a lousy day at school. Maybe somebody was mean to them. I mean, us adults have bad days and we come home and it's like, we expect our kids to be all cheery. It's like, well, I had a bad day. Leave me alone. Well, they have that yeah. right too. That's right. And and it's hard to do in practice, but it sure makes the household go better if everybody's kind of allowed a little bit of space. And if we mm-hmm. can model that, you know, gosh, I've had a bad day and I need a few minutes. And then it uh, looks like you've had a bad day. Why don't you take a couple of minutes to yourself? And when you're ready, come back out, you know, and sometimes you got to put firmer limits on that. So like, why don't you take, you know, 20 minutes to yourself and then come join us at the table or yeah. something like that. And so, I mean, all of that sounds really, really nice in theory. And I know that, you know, interacting with teens or preteens, um, it's a little bit more challenging in practice, but I think the key is remembering what you just said, which is, you know, they're humans too, and they have less skill and less practice of managing their emotions than we do. And so, you know, cut them some slack, right? You know, yeah. we, we hold them to a higher expectation than ourselves sometimes. And I, right. I think that uh, we got to get better at that. 
Yeah, they're just little humans. I, I, I say that so I can, you know, when I listen to this episode, I can hear it myself. Make, oh, huh, Chad. Yeah, good advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it okay for that teenager to have the last word? Because I'm really bad at that. Like, I want to have the last word because I'm the parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that I'm qualified to answer this question because I really hate it when they get the last word, Chad. I, <laughs> I want, you know, I come from a long line of like lecturers, right? Mm. My, my people um, are really skilled at the mom lecture and, and, and I, and I nail it, right? I'm really good at it. So I'll, but lecturing is not necessarily the most effective way to communicate. I know this, but I will issue mom lecture like 332, right? And (laughs) I think, okay, I've made my point. They've heard me and now we're going to move forward. And then they'll, they'll pop back with something. And I, and I just, it is so hard to bite my tongue and not, mm-hmm. and let me be clear. I'm not recommending lecturing. I'm saying there's some things we just do instinctively mm-hmm. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. to be my thing. Um, but I, I have a hard time letting them have the last word. And, and it really isn't, I think if we try to fight back and like, nope, you are not going to get the last word at that point, we're trying to dominate our child, yeah, not communicate with. And that is, that is so easy to say now, <laughs> but mm-hmm. later on. <laughs> I'm going to have a harder time remembering that it's not about winning. It's not about dominating. It's not about getting the last word. You know, it's about being present and showing them you care and showing them that we're all human and we make mistakes and we can work through stuff. Right. And we've talked about in the past, the the term that I I heard in a conference of dominate the listening. We weren't talking about it at the time to your kids, but I think you could, if you want to dominate your child, dominate the listening, the listening Uh and hear them out. Yep. And when you really put your energy into just, I'm just going to listen to this person. I'm going to listen to their experience. I'm going to listen to what they're not saying. It's so powerful. And it's, you know, again, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I do that for a living. (laughs) But um, it is, (laughs) it is so hard to do that with a little human child that you have so much emotionally invested in. Yeah. Um, but it's the most important relationship in your life to do that with. Maybe, maybe your spouse is an important person to listen to, too, but we can argue that in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so then basically from that, the teenagers, when they're fighting back, that that is age-appropriate behavior mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're, they're learning their limits. They're learning how to communicate as, a, as an older child mm-hmm. and kind of seeing how far we can press mom That's or right. dad. Yeah. And they're, I mean, really they're testing their boundaries. They're, they're trying to figure out mm, how does this aspect of myself and my voice work? And it's, it's practice. You're a training ground for them. And so, you know, and, and I can't say that I handle this gracefully. Same. <laughs> I, I typically get pretty frustrated with any sort of back talk, but what I have to realize is that's all just, you know, kind of practice session for the future. And, and I'll try to like, without being sarcastic, I'll say a nice try. I see what you're trying to do there, but not going to work. Or I'll say, why don't you save that for, you know, the, the, the people that are bullying you at school. No, I, I shouldn't make light of that. I, nobody, I don't think anybody's bullying my child, but save that for bullies, save that for somebody who's being mean. I want you to use that kind of energy for, you know, people who need that. I'm your mom and I, I don't actually need that. You want to give us a few takeaways from this episode? <laughs> this is going to sound awfully similar to previous episodes, Chad. Listen to your kids. <laughs> <laughs> Let them, let them tell you what's going on. But, but so, you know, it's important to keep in mind that kids can struggle without having 
a mental health disorder or a mental health mm-hmm. problem. Um, mental health is everything, right? You you can you can be in really good shape and you're, it's still called mental health, uh, but you can also have a mental health problem that isn't a mental health disorder. And so there's just sort of this spectrum of how to define things, uh, but keeping in mind that that there are certain phases in life that are just more challenging. And so we didn't even go beyond like childhood, but you know if we wanted to take this a little higher up, we can think about those times in adulthood where we're more likely to struggle a little. And that doesn't mean we have a diagnosis. It doesn't mean that we need professional help. It just means that it's a normal phase. And so some of those phases might be, you know, graduating from high school, going out Mm. into the real world, right? Uh, Getting your first job, getting married, having a child, you know, losing someone important, uh, moving, all of, you know, like a financial change, all of loss of job, all those things are things you should have a hard time with because they are, you know, it's developmentally appropriate to struggle. And so it doesn't mean it's a mental health condition. Red flags for a mental health condition would be, you know, a, a change in behavior or personality that's persistent across places, across time. And um, when the problem is is sort of taking over and um, it's, it's reached a level where it's interfering with every aspect of functioning, then it's time to do something about it. So that would be the best sum up that I think I could get for this episode. Well, thank you, Nikki. As always, uh, some great information. And we said at the top of the episode, uh, thank you to our listeners who uh, keep this going, keep the conversation going. Our next episode is going to be about teaching gratitude. So see, Nikki, we're already showing how grateful we are and uh, will be great to teach you gratitude. And that episode, by the way, will drop right before Christmas. So when you have like the little uh, YouTube video of the kid who got the avocado for his birthday and he's like, it's an avocado. Thanks. <laughs> We're going to talk about teaching gratitude, and you said in 238 simple steps. That will be episode 37. That's out in two weeks. As always, we thank you for listening and sharing this episode and other episodes within the Scrambled Podcast. Our goal in starting this podcast was to start a conversation, and that conversation continues with you.